And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. This world is not my home. I'm just a what? And that's the rub, right? If only the song said, this world is not my home, so Jesus is taking me away right now. (laughs) But that's not the song. Because that's not our life. And it's not our world. If this world was not our home and we were taken away, there would be no conflict. There would be no tension. Or, or, if this world were our home and we stayed here, we'd be fine. We'd be fine. But the tension is is that this world is not our home, but it's our home for a while. And so now what? (laughs) How do we do that? How do we live faithfully in a world that's not our home? We're beginning today a a series called Stand Up, Stand Strong. It's from a book by the same title, and it's focused on different issues and topics that we see especially prevalent in our culture today. We'll be setting some groundwork, but ultimately we'll be looking at things like the issue of abortion and pro-life, sexual morality, including same-sex marriage, gender confusion, the influence of the media, all kinds of different specific topics that we'll share over the next few months. But these first two or three lessons are going to be setting some foundation for everything that comes after. Next week we'll talk about world view. Today we're just acknowledging that this world is not our home, but it's our home for now. The author of the book says, all around me I see a world going crazy. And this is a, the author is a young woman who is in her early to mid-twenties. So she's part of that younger, millennial, Gen Z, zennial generation that has grown up in the last uh, 20 years or so. And that's all the world they've experienced firsthand. And yet in the book we are called back to the word of God as the standard. For our lives and for our beliefs. And for how we operate in a world that is not our home. I appreciate Tucker you mentioning the incident on Monday night and... The impact that it's had, we talked about that in our Bible class this morning as well. It's just an incredible example of what Tucker spoke about. That when you get down to that life and death moment, you realize what really matters. What's really important. And it's nothing this world has to offer. Those players and coaches and people all around the country dropped to their knees because there was nothing this world could do to help. There were wonderfully gifted first responders there on that field, as Tucker shared. And we appreciate so many of you for doing, putting yourself in that same place. And they saved his life. And he continues to hopefully improve, and that's, that's what we want. But it called our culture back to some things that you could say publicly for the first time 
that night in a while. You could pray publicly. You could announce your faith publicly, and it, it seemed to be okay. But how long will that last? All around me, I see a world going crazy. How can I know what's actually true when truth seems subjective? And and that's where we are in our world today. It's not just choose truth or choose something other than truth. It's first, is there truth at all? Is, Is there anything that is the ultimate truth? Is there ultimate right and wrong? Is there ultimate good and evil? And I'm not sure that our culture today would acknowledge that overall. But I think more do than the media would let us believe. And we saw a great example of that this past week. All around me I see a world going crazy. Culture is the environment that is all around us. Talk terms for just a moment. We'll be talking a lot about culture and using that word a lot, but what exactly is it? Well, it's the world all around us. It's our environment that we live in. It's the ideals and mindsets, lifestyles, beliefs, and values that the people around us generally share. These are what form a society's practices and actions, expectations, and yes, even laws. The laws are formed because of these ideals and these mindsets and these beliefs in the environment that is all around us. Regarding the current environment, much of our culture today has landed in places and positions that contradict God's word. And yet this world is our home for a while, but not our permanent home. And that makes it difficult to be a faithful Christian in this environment, especially for our teenagers our young adults, and our young families. Our teachers, counselors, others that deal with these questions on an everyday basis. With many who are totally unfamiliar with the perspectives that we have all had. And for most of us, most all of our lives. And so the goal of this series is to help us be better prepared to live and speak the truth in love. To live and teach and share and speak the truth in love. And as our shepherd Ken Culpepper shared earlier, not just in love, but in humility. And that's hard. Because these are things that we feel so strongly about and have such strong convictions about as well we should. This is important. This is all important to us. And we're going to defend that and and that's the right thing to do. But let's all be reminded from the very start that we are called to speak and we're called to speak the truth, but we're called to speak the truth in love. That's straight out of Ephesians 4 verse 15. We are called to speak the truth in love, in humility, in kindness, in consideration, in respect. But let it still be the truth that we speak, 
But let it first be the truth that we live. Let us live the truth before we speak it. But let us do both. And we will do them both imperfectly because we're sinners. We get that. And that's why we do this humbly, respectfully, considerately. Jesus is not simply a justice or truth warrior. He's not just someone who is speaking the truth. He's not just someone who came to reveal God's truth, who came to get everybody in line. But nor is Jesus only a mercy grace warrior. He is not someone who came just to announce forgiveness. He's not someone who came just to say, you're okay. The issue with Jesus, and according to the Gospel of John from the very start in chapter 1, Jesus came full of grace and truth. He came to reveal grace and truth, both. And he lived both, and he calls us to do both. Jesus is grace and truth. And he calls us to live that way, and he calls us to share that way. This series will not focus on political parties and leaders and policies, all of which are flawed and imperfect. Just in case you missed that, let me repeat it. This series will not focus on political parties and leaders and policies, all of which are flawed and imperfect. That's not what this is about. As we talked in our Bible class this morning, I shared with them, yes, I am concerned about the direction of our country. Yes, I am concerned about the future for our kids. But I'll tell you what I'm more concerned about than that. I am more concerned about where the church is today. I am more concerned that we remind ourselves today that if we are living this and if we are speaking it in love in light of the world that God sends us into, then however the rest of that works out, we'll be okay. This series will, focus, uh, will not focus on political parties and leaders and policies, all of which are flawed and imperfect. This series, however, will take a close look at our culture and how that culture compares with the inspired Word of God and how we can faithfully live out our call as disciples of Jesus today. You see, this is our culture <laughs> This is our environment. This is where we live. And this is where God has sent us. As Jesus prayed in John 17, he he prayed, Father, I've given them your word and the world has hated them just as it hated me. And that was in the first century. And believe me, when you look at church history and when you read the pages of the New Testament, you realize that their world hated them a whole lot more than our world hates us. But we can't deny that there is conflict there. And Jesus prayed in that prayer, I do not ask you to take them out of the world. I am sending them into the world just as you sent me, Father. So wherever you are, whatever life you live, whatever your job is, whatever school you go to, whatever grade you're in, 
Whatever community you live in, that's where Jesus is sending you, that world. And he's sending you to be the light of that world. To live and speak the truth in love to that world, your world. The purpose of this series is to help us all be better prepared to do that faithfully. Our Bible classes, a few of them on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock, are going to be discussing these lessons and these topics each week. Our 5 o'clock Reflections class that meets along with our singing class, the Reflections class will be sharing about these lessons each uh, Sunday evening that we meet and we're meeting tonight. And though all of this disturbs and confuses us and may even scare us, it should not surprise us. This is what our Savior said would be the case. It's the way it was for Him. It's the way it was for His disciples. But He also said that we can have the peace and assurance in knowing that through Him we will overcome. And so I'm going to Keep going back to this great verse, John chapter 16, verse 33. At the end of that chapter where he warns them about the life that's ahead for them and the difficulties that it will bring. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so as we face our culture today, we face it with assurance and with confidence that Jesus has overcome. But that doesn't mean the difficulties are gone. It just means that we know we have the ultimate victory. But we have to remember, how exactly did Jesus overcome the world? He overcame it by dying on the cross. As a crucified criminal. We want to think that he overcame it by calling 12,000 legions of angels down to wipe everybody out and take them down from the cross. That's how the world would do it. That's how our culture would do it. But that's not how Jesus did it. And that's not how he's calling us to do it either. Winning looks different for Jesus than it does for our culture. It should look different for us, too. As Chad shared, as we were around the table, Jesus came to face what we face. I love the way you put that, brother, wherever you are. There you are. Jesus came to face what we face. And he came to choose us, as Chad said. To choose to save us, rather than to save himself. And that's how he overcame the world, and that's how we do as well. The truth of the gospel means that Christ's words do have authority to tell us how to live. We probably all came to uh, claim to believe that, right? Oh, I believe that the Bible tells us how we should live. Do we live that way? That's the question. Shallow convictions in believing in a watered-down gospel lead to shallow faith and a life governed by self and culture rather than God's word. This is... We're in the deep. We're in the deep. And we can't afford to be shallow in our convictions. Solid principles and convictions give the ability to be disciples of Christ, obeying His command, follow me. 
And what does that look like every day? What does the gospel do in our lives today? How will people see that in us? Well, here are six things very briefly. First of all, the gospel changes our life and purpose. We have a different purpose. We no longer live according to the purpose that the world lives by. We have a different purpose. We measure success differently. Our purpose is to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that Jesus has commanded us. Our purpose is to deny ourselves, not fulfill every, every desire. The opposite, deny ourselves. Take up the cross of Christ and follow Him. Our purpose is to present our bodies as living sacrifices. And that's the exact opposite of what the purpose of the world is. The purpose of the world is to get to a point where you don't have to make sacrifices. The gospel changes our life purpose. The gospel designates a source for morality. And this is going to be one of the most blatant areas of disagreement and, and difference that we're going to see with our culture today. The gospel designates a source for morality. It tells us that marriage is between a man and a woman. And it's a lifetime commitment. It tells us that husbands are to love their wives and wives are to respect their husbands. It actually tells us that they're to love and respect each other. It tells us that life is sacred, that we're created in the image of God and that all life is sacred. From conception to the grave. The gospel designates a source for morality. The gospel defines truth. In a, in a culture that says truth can't be defined. Truth is whatever and however you define it to be. Scripture 100% disagrees. 100%. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The gospel defines truth. The gospel reorders our priorities. It reorders our priorities. And so we send money to buy a van to this orphanage in some obscure town in Mexico. And we ask ourselves, what's in it for us when we do that? And here's what's in it for us. Nothing. The reason we're sending it is because of what's in it for them. And that's the right question. And yet God is praised and we are thankful and people are helped. The gospel reorders our priorities. How do I know, Bill, if my priorities have been reordered by the gospel or not? Well, I'll give you two examples. Number one, go online and check your checking account and click on debits what you see there. See, I used to be able to say, get out your checkbook and, and look at your checkbook register. <laughs> Can't use that one anymore. <laughs> so get your bank statement out or go online and get in your checking account and take a look at the debits. Take a look at where your money has gone. Second thing is take a look at your calendar. Take a look at your calendar. You want to get a real objective look at your priorities. 
away from all the fluff and the nice things that we believe to look at the actual. Number five, the gospel realigns our authorities. It realigns our authorities. I love it when Jesus was uh, going back and forth with the Jewish leaders of his day and they thought they had him trapped because they said, hey, should we uh, give taxes or not? Because if he says no, then, then he's breaking the law. And if he says yes, then he's betrayed the Jews. And so Jesus says, give me a coin. As you know this story, right? And he says, whose inscription, whose face is that? Well, it's Caesar's. Then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And give to God what belongs to God. But don't give to Caesar what belongs to God. The gospel realigns our authorities. And this blew Governor Pilate away when he was uh, questioning Jesus and he thought he had him. Because Jesus alluded to his kingdom that's not of this world. And he says, you are a king then. And Jesus says, you're exactly right. I am a king. And that's exactly the reason why I came into this world. And everyone who listens to the truth listens to me as their king. He didn't tell anybody to rebel against the empire, to overthrow the government. He just told them, your authority is higher than that. And as the early disciples said in Acts 5, we must obey God rather than mankind. We can obey God and mankind almost all the time in our culture today, even today. And what a blessing that is. But when it comes down to it, our ultimate authority is the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word. Number six, the gospel infuses our hearts with hope. It infuses our hearts with hope. In a world that is so hopeless, so cynical so negative, so confused. Christians live lives of hope. And remember that uh, term, the, the Stockdale Paradox, that, that whole idea that biblical hope doesn't, doesn't deny the reality of the difficulty of the day. Biblical hope acknowledges that. It just acknowledges also that Jesus has overcome the world. And so culture is going to do as it will. Circumstances in our life are going to sometimes be good, sometimes not good. But we always live lives of hope. Why? Not because of our circumstances, not because of who's living in the White House, not because of any of those things, but we live lives of hope because of the gospel. And so we'll close with these three options. Number one, we can follow our own selfish desires and the values of our culture. Reinhold Niebuhr wrote a book um, 50 years or so ago, Christ and Culture. And it's still a very valuable book that discusses some of these things as well. Others have built on it, like Stanley Hauerwas and William Willimon. And others, we can follow our own selfish desires and the values of our culture. That is the Christ of culture. In other words, we give up Christ and we take culture. We embrace culture. This world is now my home. Forever. And I'm very comfortable in it. In all of its lack of truth, in all of its sinfulness, in all of its betrayal against the word of God... This world is my home. That is an option. 
I don't think very many people in this room or that are watching online are going to take that option. Number two, we can compromise with our culture following the Bible when it's not uncomfortable, when it doesn't cost us anything. And this is Christ and culture. And we may say that we reject this one, but do we? Do we? This is the hard one. This is the, this is the one that's the hardest. Because what we... What we say is, well, we realize that there are worldly values in our culture that I reject, and I'm going to hold to the Bible and hold to the Scripture, but then we like some things in the world, and we don't want to cause trouble, and we, we don't want people to not like us, and we don't want to have to pay a price in popularity, in job position, or in job at all. And so we'll follow Christ and we'll go by His values unless it costs us something. And when we have to pay a price for it, then what we'll do is we'll take this Bible and we'll rationalize it so that it's okay to live according to the values of our culture in this case. Even though they contradict the values of God. Will we be willing and ready to pay the price if we're called upon to pay it? Option number three is this. We can counter the culture and faithfully live and uphold the word of God. Christ, the transformer of culture. We don't have to accept it. We don't have to try to get on a different planet. (laughs) But what we can do is live as witnesses just as Jesus called us to do. What we can do is sacrifice ourselves, our lives. Be living sacrifices. In order that the world may see that just as we have been transformed by the living Word of God, we want them to be transformed by the living Word of God as well. How will they see that? They'll see that when we live lives of love. When we preach and live the truth in love. They'll see it in our peace. In a world that's gone crazy, yet they look at us and they see some calm assurance and peace. They'll see it in our hope, that we live lives of hope, that we live lives of love, that we live lives of peace, and that we live lives of joy. Yes, even joy. Joy that the circumstances and the values of this world and this culture cannot Take away. It is in the hope that we will all choose this third option that we begin this series. We acknowledge the difficulty of the times in which we live. We don't pretend it's not hard. But we also acknowledge the power of the Lord and of His Holy Spirit, the power of His Word, the Bible, and the power of His church and the encouragement we receive from each other. Someone in our Bible class said, Look around in this class and alluded to what will be here right now. And those joining us online, there's a lot of power here. Not power the way the world measures it. But the power of God that's seen in people banding together to encourage each other to live faithfully as witnesses to the one who gave everything for us. We acknowledge that in this world we will have trouble, but we also affirm that our Lord Jesus Christ has overcome the world. I know whom I believe. And I am persuaded 
that he is what? He is able. He is able to take what I have committed to him and to keep it safe and to use me for his will until that day comes. This morning, if we can help you do that, come as we stand, sing our song together. I know.